Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested in this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, join Gelt. Dot com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So we have a really amazing founder today, a repeated founder. I mean, he's uh, sold quite a bit of companies here, and uh, now what he's doing is he's building this rocket ship. But very inspiring how he came from India, you know, selling his company, came to the U.S., now back in India, but a uh, remarkable journey for sure. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Gaurav Sharma. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So originally born there in India, you know, you grew up there. Your father was there in, in the Air Force. And, you know, that kind of like uh, triggered moving, you know, across the, uh, the the place, you know, across the, the country. But but give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? I think growing up, uh, if I look back, it was pretty, pretty fun because my dad was moving every three years to a different city. So it was always making new friends leaving some behind and making some new ones. I, I was pretty active in sports. And then when I was like 15, got uh, got influenced by a news that sort of changed my life for good. Uh, you know, so so, so Sabir Bhatia, again, he, he's like an Indian-American guy, he sold Hotmail to Microsoft. And I read this news that, hey, this Indian guy sold a company for $400 million. And I didn't know what $400 million mean that time, but I, I, I knew that it's a, it's a huge amount. And then I started searching, like, why this guy? And how did he do that? So I figured that he did something on the internet. And that's how I told my dad that, hey, dad, I, I, need, I need a computer and I need some internet. Uh, then we figured it was all dial, all dial uh, you know, internet, 26k PBS speed. Uh, that's what I got access to. And I just got hooked to programming and internet in general at that age. And I guess before, before you know, programming and, and the internet, you know, how, how would you say that it shaped you who you are today? Because, I mean, when the, all the traveling and, and, and moving, you know, uh, across, you know, the, the country with your dad, because, you know, making new friends, you know, the unknown, uncertainty, I'm sure that that helped you a little bit, too, with dealing with the unknown, you know, now as an entrepreneur. Yeah, 100%. Uh... You know, you, you're making new friends and you're leaving behind friends. Both are different emotions, right? So you, at, at a very early age, I sort of le started learning like how, how it's okay to leave things behind and how it's it's okay and it's so good to find new people. Uh, 
so so that openness to diversity and openness to learning new things uh that made me by default a lifelong learner uh so i i even at i'm i'm 34 now and i'm still sort of on weekends i'm still learning what's what's new in ai what's langchain like we're still writing code love to travel a lot uh, so that definitely influenced and designed the way i am uh, in a way like how i look at life in general now for you i mean you were talking about it you picked up programming at 15 then you started getting into the whole computer thing and then and then eventually you know what happened is that uh, you started getting into the blogging thing so what what happened there because i mean obviously you even collected checks you know via your mother because you were not allowed to collect uh, money because you were under 18 i mean that's that sounds pretty amazing yeah um so because I, so, so the blogging blogging happened very naturally it's it just i was writing code and i obviously started searching for answers for some of the problems they were getting into and some of the problems i was solving myself so i started just writing about those things like hey how to how to write this code how to write that code i figured um uh, I don't know if how popular Orkut was in in US, but in India, Orkut, which was a Google Google product before Facebook, uh, that became pretty popular. As a, it was a social media website, and there were a lot of profiles getting hacked. So I figured like how those profiles are getting hacked. So as a um, as a, as a coder, I published a lot of code on like how not to get your profiles hacked or everything. So that so because of that, the blog really picked up, and obviously I was using. Uh, Google AdSense, which started sending me checks to my to my house, and obviously in my mom's name because I was I didn't have a bank account, and probably that's how my parents like were happy that okay this guy is not wasting time on computer because before that they were always worried that this dude is like awake till six a.m. and has internet and is growing up. I don't know what he's doing on internet. That's incredible. Now eventually you go to college, and uh, you know that's the time where. You started now taking it even more serious, building companies. So what were you building there? Because, I mean, that uh, ultimately, you know, landed you an offer, you know, to work at an investment bank. Yeah. Uh, college was such an uh, amazing eye-opener in the sense that the kind of access I got to uh, better computers and faster internet uh, and, and peers, obviously very smart peers to to work with and sort of that whole com- competition of doing something awesome all the time was always in my mind. Uh, so I, I built this virtual stock exchange uh, to let people, let students learn how to trade stocks and community on both Indian market and, and US market using real-time uh, price data. Uh, so it was a complete, I mean, if you want, I mean, it, it was as real as a real sort of stock broker website. And it became really popular, like all the Indian top B schools, technology schools in India, in Singapore, in Germany, and some of the colleges in the US, they're starting using it. So we had about 100,000 students playing on that, learning stock market every day. Uh, and that became pretty popular uh, back back that time. Uh, and that got me an, an offer. I, I didn't have great scores, uh, okay scores, but not great scores. Uh, but even because of the, the work I was doing, I got an offer from Investment Bank. Um, and I, I joined them and worked there for three months. And I guess, what did you learn about uh, investment banking there that uh, or corporate that uh, you didn't like so much? Because, I mean, eventually, you know, you gave that up and you went back at building and scaling companies and never, ever worked for anybody else. 
it's just that fulfillment right i mean you're not seeing your what impact your business your your work can do in investment bank and when you are at the analyst very early stage you just log like anything is log like you're like working 12 13 14 even 16 hours a day and then you don't see any value of your work what's amazing about this whole programming thing is you you write some code you work for 10 minutes 20 minutes you build something and you can see those things in action and someone oversees miles away using your product and getting some value i think that feeling of someone unknown using your product and probably liking it getting some value i think that's that's unbeatable so i didn't get any any fun out of the work i was doing at the investment bank although the money was good um but but i used to work like 15 hours and then used to go back my to my place I used to build things over during the whole night sleep like a couple of hours and then back to office again at 9 a.m uh and one fine day I woke up and there was this Australian customer uh, who, who who transferred like five hundred dollars for this random stuff I was building, uh, and I was like, I think I can I can I can live with five hundred dollars even um you know for a month also. So like, hey, I, I can I can pay for myself, so I don't need a job. So that's how on a very special day, which is like Independence Day of India, fifteenth August, I put in my papers and uh, and decided to move to Bangalore. So then moving to Bangalore, you know, you eventually started Pinpuff and, um, you know, that's essentially the ticket that got you into the U.S. So what were you guys doing at Pinpuff and uh, how did the acquisition by science, you know, happen? Sure. I mean, moving to Bangalore, I started actually another company, Zubu, uh, slogged for almost one and a half, two years. Uh, I, I committed a typical first time entrepreneur mistake. I didn't charge much for my product. I I had I had scale, but I didn't monetize that well, right? But eventually stumbled upon this idea to build an analytics product for Pinterest because it was picking up back then, 2010, 2010, 2011. Uh, so Pinpuff was an analytics product for first of its kind for Pinterest, which went viral. Uh, it got covered by Mashable and all those uh, big, big sort of uh, publications. And we got like hundreds of thousands of uh, users and a lot of agencies and brands behind us to open up some some paid paid thing we didn't have any paid option but we just had a waiting list so we had four thousand people ready to pay for it uh and that's how the whole uh one day i got an got an email that hey please connect us to the ceo i was the only guy i was always i was the only guy running it so i got an email at contact at pinpop.com then i waited for five minutes connected myself through that email that okay let me connect you to the ceo so i replied from the other email that yes i'm the ceo tell me and we we had a long discussions for a couple of weeks and then finally after all those discussions back and forth uh at finally on at 3 a.m in one fine night I, I i woke up my parents and told them that hey i sold what i built and i'm moving to us in the next couple of weeks uh my god i shouldn't what? have woken up woken them up at 3 a.m they, they woke up with a shock what what did they say what was what was the reaction Obviously, they were shocked at 3 a.m. Like what happened, and uh, they took some time to even understand that. And in the morning, over a morning tea, they asked me again, like, "What exactly you told last night?" And then I gave them an, an answer, and they were like, "They were definitely happy uh, because I they saw me working really hard without expecting any sort of results out of it. Uh, genuine hard work and getting that." happiness out of people using your product so there was there was never never a money angle into it and all of a sudden when all your hard work sort of pays off 
uh, in one shot. I think they were definitely happy for me. And why why did you want to come to the US? Uh, like why not? I think I'm I'm a I'm a I'm always open to always open to traveling, right? I mean, I and and US has always been this kind of a it's kind of a dream for every tech entrepreneur, I guess. Uh, you know, this whole Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley, like you always hear about that, the big stories and everything. Um, I feel all the products that I built from day one, they were mostly very global in nature. Um, so we, I always had, I always talked to a lot of US folks while growing up, like 15, from the age of 15, when I started building things. I, I talked to so many people from US. So I had this fascination for US that, okay, I think US is this land of sort of dreams. So probably I can go, go to US and make something, do something really big there. Um, you know, like when I was struggling, in my struggling phase, at one point, I even felt that, hey, I think this entrepreneurship thing I can't do. So let's start giving these GMAT, uh, you know, taking this GMAT exam uh, paper and, and probably score some scores and probably get into an education, some some school in US. I mean, that was my, that was my plan. I was planning for that. And when the acquisition happened. Uh, so, so, yeah. So obviously the transaction happens in this case. You arrive in the LA area. Yep. How was how was that? Was it was it like a culture shock? All, all of a sudden, you know, you were in your twenties. You had sold your company. You were, you know, now in the land of opportunity. How, how was that for you? This is something I was talking to my coach as well recently. That for some reason I don't have the extremes of the emotions. Even if it's a happy moment, if it's a sad moment, I I never fluctuate between the emotions. I was like the same poker face landed in LA and I was like, okay, whatever. Uh, but internally it was, it was for the first time after a very long time, I was feeling, okay, I've done something good here. Uh, and I've got this opportunity, uh, to do, to move to us all the way and do something big here. Right. So it was not a cultural shock because probably we, we, I got sort of exposed to through, through Hollywood, through music, you you get exposed to to US in general very early on, right? So so I was not really that was not really a shock for me. I think the shock for me was when I moved, when I went abroad for the first time and I was I, I went to Japan, Tokyo for some time before going to US, right? Like I, I think when I was seventeen, that's when I did my first international trip. Uh, so I think Tokyo definitely was a was a culture shock for the first time. I was seeing all these big buildings and, and, you know, like everything. So, so when I moved to US, I think it was not a big, big change, but it was definitely happy, happy state. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domain. So, I mean, obviously if you're a startup or an entrepreneur, you got to be super careful on how you go about your presence and how you get the catchy domain. And that's why I recommend .tech Domains as the go-to place to really get your own domain. A good example here is Aurora.tech which is an innovative brand that has the .tech domain associated to it. Aurora.tech actually works at the intersection of rigorous engineering to address one of the most challenging issues of our generation, which is transforming the way that people and goods move. It is set to launch Horizon, which is Aurora's first autonomous service that's designed to bring safety, value, and efficiency to carriers and fleet owners. I've actually arranged an amazing deal for all of you and that is you can get your one-year domain for $10 or a five-year domain for $50. Just go to go.tech forward slash dealmakers. And that's, again, go.tech forward slash dealmakers to get your own. That's awesome. Now, for you, you know, as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So this transaction happens. The integration happens. 
And then you find yourself launching Hello Society. So what were you guys doing at Hello Society? Sure. So Hello Society, we sort of built uh, that, at that time, the largest influencer marketing platform. Uh, we signed up all the top interest and Instagram influencers, and we gave them a platform, and we gave a platform to the brands to connect with each other and run campaigns. So we worked with all the fashion brands and polio and studios uh, to run a lot of campaigns on Instagram and, and Pinterest. I mean, these days, influencer marketing is pretty big. We did that 10 years back, grew that to about about 15-odd million and, uh, and, and got, got exited. Had I started that this today, I mean, would have been a bigger story, I guess. And also bootstrapping. You know, obviously what you're doing, you know, now is um, it's a little bit different because you guys have raised a little of money, you know, even though you bootstrapped for a while. But, uh, I mean, with this with these two companies, Hello Society and then also Pinpuff, I mean, you guys were fully bootstrapping the operation. You didn't raise money from from outside people. So how was bootstrapping, you know, from the ground up? I mean, what does that look like? Sure. I think in Hello Society, we actually took a small amount, but that was like a, like a 200K amount. That's all. I think SaaS Labs is a, the, the, my current company is a bigger bootstrap success story, I would say, uh, revenue wise and scale wise. I don't know. Like, I, I always felt that this whole, so I, I don't have that belief of people, people differentiate between startups and business. I still feel that even startup is a, is a business end of the day, and the business role is to, sell for more, buy for less, make profits. And that's what business is by definition, right? So uh, grow, growing slow is okay. I think, so, so So I never got into that noise of burn money, grow fast, or grow fast, or, or sort of go home, like those sort of things. I never sort of felt that. I always believed in growing a healthy business uh, that can generate profits. Uh, so that, I mean, that's, that's the kind of DNA and that's the kind of mindset I have as a founder. Okay. And now, now let's talk about the acquisition here by the New York times of, um, of, of hello society. How, how did the New York times, you know, come into the radar and how was that uh, transaction? Like, how was that process like? Because I mean, obviously this was your second time at it and you had the experience now selling companies. So what happened here and what did you do differently than what you did with Pinpop? There was always an inbound interest. We were doing really well. Uh, again, this was a profitable, profitable business. We were doing really, really well. Uh, but I, because because the business took a, a kind of a shape of an agency eventually. So I was not like really interested in that business because I'm a, still a very tech focused product person. Uh, so I obviously lost a lot of interest in that business, and I was already so I already decided to move back to India. So it was pretty obvious for me to sort of exit. Uh, and and build something more techy, more technology oriented, more product focused. Uh, so it was a pretty easy transaction in a way because uh, there was always a very strong inbound interest. And it's it's not. I'll be very frank. Like it's it's while you're building this business, or in the early times, you always have this dream of you know selling the business and making hitting this jackpot all the time, but. When you're close to that transaction, it, it feels kind of different. Uh, it's it's not easy. It's not easy to let go what you have built with so much uh, hard work and and pain. Uh, most of the most of the bad most of the difficult work is actually done by your uh, your legal folks and 
the DD folks, or the due diligence folks. I mean, for you, it's just that settle down on a price. That's all. And obviously, I, I heard too that when you sell a business, and I've been through it too. You know, when 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 you get your company acquired, it's like it's it's like you feel like you've experienced some type of loss. You know, some type of like loss in the family or something. You know, it's like yeah, you sign, you know, you get the money, all of that good stuff, but then all of a sudden, it's like. It's like everything changes. Everything is altered. You know, now it's not your baby anymore. Now you kind of like gave the keys to someone else. So how was that thing for you as well? Yeah, I think that this is this is exactly where my my nature of not having extreme emotions sort of helped me. Uh, I, I was, uh, I feel that, that pinch for sure that, all of a sudden, automatically, you're not no longer attached to that thing for which, to which you're attached, like anything, uh, for last three four years. Like waking up while sleeping, you're just thinking about that. You're chatting people, solving problems, celebrating success, and all of a sudden, you're not told that you're no longer attached there. You know, like it's it's a, it's a tough feeling. But but I was more excited about I was more excited about the possibility of moving back to India and this time around starting something really, really good because this time I, I was financially in a better state. So I was now excited about taking a slightly bigger risk. Uh, so so that excitement overpowered the feeling of that loss you talked about. Understood. Now, once once the transaction happened with the New York Times, then eventually, you know, you decide to move to India. So... Why did you move to India? And then also, what were you doing there, you know, all the way to the launch of your latest baby, Sales Labs? Yeah. Moved back to, moved back to India. Uh, tried my hand at golf. Uh, figured that I can't be a, a professional golfer. Uh, then I started writing some code. I really wanted to prove one thesis that from India, you can build something and sell across the world. It's kind of very obvious in today's age, even after, like, for example, after post-COVID, post it's pretty obvious that you can actually build from anywhere and sell from anywhere. Uh, 2015, it was not that obvious. Uh, so I started building very tiny apps uh, and just tried if I can sell it from India itself without having any sales team, without any having any team outside India. And that worked out really well. Like as a single person, I sort of grew that to about half a million dollars uh, in 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 revenue, um, and you can say profit as well. Uh, and that was a great validation for me to say that okay, yes, I think it's possible that I can I can build a really big business if single person can generate half a million dollars. Like okay, let's multiply that by hundred, uh, so you can actually build something big here. Uh, so twenty sixteen, that's when I decided that okay, it's, it's time I start something big. Uh, but this time I decided that I'm not going to sell this business. I've already sold two times. Let's now let's play that compounding game. Let's build something for next 30, 40 years that I can take public and probably retire from. Uh, so, so that's how SaaS Labs came about. We are basically building a single platform for sales and support agents for small businesses. And you have uh, several products there. So uh, give us a give us a walk through. You know, here what is the business model and how are you guys making money and what are all those pro products about? Sure. Uh, just to touch upon, like like other businesses, I also bootstrapped this business uh, because I really wanted to build a high quality, profitable business. So we bootstrapped this business and we started with just call 
as our first product. It's a it's a modern contact center software for small businesses to do all your daily job and also automate every single thing that you're doing. It's a simple, straightforward SaaS product where you can you can you can buy you know licenses per seed basis uh, on monthly or annual basis. So it's a very straightforward uh, SaaS product. Uh, we have a second and third product. Second is Helpwise, and third is a company that we acquired uh, in in Poland last year called Callpage. Uh, so that's that's the third product, and we have another bunch of products. But these three products are actually the money making products right now. So you know, as you as you were saying, you bootstrapped this thing. You guys brought this to like six million bucks or so in ARR. I mean, you were making like three million bucks on this. I mean, you you were really making bank. So why? Especially there in India, I mean, making three million bucks a year, unbelievable. So why, why were you guys, you know, in the out of the thought of, hey, maybe you know, we we raise money for this? You didn't need it. Yeah, I got this question a lot. Uh, so this, so there were like three triggers for me to raise capital. Um, one was that we started getting a really good acquisition offers again uh, for for now for this business. Uh, but I was pretty sure that I don't want to sell the business. Uh, but but being a single owner, uh, I was pretty pretty sure that I don't, I don't want to sell. But how to tell your family that someone is paying you eighty million dollars and you're saying no to that? Uh, so that I really dreaded that sort of conversation. So I really needed something to marry to the business. So that was one trigger. The second trigger was that being very self-aware that I I don't have that experience of building something from. The last business I built was about 15 million in revenue. I've not seen that 100 million dollar, 200 million dollar journey. So I need some know-how help uh, to to go to that journey. And third was uh, I felt that there's a high risk of me becoming very complacent by making all this money, uh, all these profits. So I felt that I won't be able to achieve my ultimate goal of taking this company public or like making a lot of my employees a lot of money. Uh, so these three points were the main points for me as a trigger. And we obviously had a very strong inbound interest coming in from a lot of investors. So I had this liberty or sort of, you know, options to pick the right partner for us. Uh, so so that, so that was the, the main trigger for us to do our series, series A. Our series B happened because we were in the market to acquire a couple of companies in Europe. Uh, so that's when the Sequoia round happened of about 42 million for five months down the line. So all in all, you guys have raised fifty-six million, correct? That's right. Now, talk to us about acquisitions. Why did you guys acquire other companies? What was the strategy behind that? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> so, so we acquired one company in Poland and one in one in France. Uh, the Polish acquisition happened. It's called Callpage, the company. the The Polish Acquisition happened because uh, the company was very adjacent product to ours. Uh, they have this technology that they have built, which can help our business improve our gross margins by almost ten to twenty points. Uh, so that made so that was absolutely a no-brainer. The amount we were paying and the kind of benefits we were getting from it that was absolutely no-brainer. And and the third is during this whole COVID period, the the salaries went off the roof, at least specifically in India. Like in Bangalore's engineers were costing us way more than it'll cost us, or maybe equal to what it's gonna cost us in let's say some parts of US. So Poland became a very strategic uh place for us to hire a lot of engineers because Poland has been uh is pretty popular for engineering talent. Uh so that also became a pretty interesting reason for us. 
And lastly, the founders was the founder was very excited about the story of SaaS Labs, and he sort of uh, wanted to stay back. So it's always it's always great to have fellow entrepreneurs on your team. So that was also a big plus for me when we did this deal. I think on the on the French acquisition, that was pretty straightforward. Uh, we 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 were anyways building some of the things that they already have, so we just bought them to buy some time, you know, just speed up some of the go to market for us uh, from the product side. Uh, uh, yeah, and and that's exactly why we raised uh, Sequoia Round. Now, as they say, most acquisitions fail, right? Because it's all about the integration. You know, you've had here the advantage of going through, you know, a couple of acquisitions on the sell side. You know, selling your previous companies and now you know experiencing the buy side. What have you learned about integration from being on both sides of the table? Yeah, I think um, the first couple of months were actually difficult. Uh, it was for the first for the first time for me to be on the other side, um, and I could really sympathize for my buyers as well, <laughs> what they must be going through when I sold my companies. Uh, so I think first two three months were like kind of tough, but then we figured. Uh, Firstly, is like how quickly it's not about the product integration; it's more about the people integration. Uh, so, how quickly you can start involving and mixing people across the teams. It should it should not be like, hey, this is Atolia team, this is Callpage team, this is SaaS Labs team, right? So, it should be like a single SaaS Labs team. One is in France, one is in Poland. I think that's really important to to talk about. Like, how can you mix the people together really, really fast? Uh, so, that's something we learned over a period of time like i think it took us almost three four months to learn that uh and post that once that happened once that whole trust levels sort of increased across the teams we told the both french team and the and the polish team that hey there is no layoffs happening uh a lot of people were worried that whenever acquisition happened a lot of layoffs happened we just made it very clear that we are a very healthy company from financial point of view and we all love you guys and we're not gonna lay off a single person uh so that built a lot of trust uh, we made sure that we are very transparent with our numbers, um, and we started uh, doing a lot of activities for mingling of people. Right, so it's still actually a, a lot of learning still in progress. We we recently started merging the products, so that's another set of learnings that are coming out coming across to us. Uh, but yeah, it's never easy. Uh, but we have our lessons for our next acquisitions. Now, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight. And you wake up in a world where the vision of the company is fully realized. What does that world look like? The vision. So, yeah, so this looks like I'm ringing the bell, probably in NASDAQ. Thousands of thousands of employees have made a lot of money. Those few hundred of them who have just made a few million dollars, they're like super happy and they're texting me. And we are helping about 50,000 businesses with about a million agents. Uh, doing amazing work, and all those fifty thousand businesses are way more profitable than before. All those million agents are way more happier and working with less anxiety than ever before. I think that's what the vision looks like. I love it. Now let's talk about the past, but doing it with a lens of reflection. Imagine I I take you back in time. I take you back in time. You know, maybe to 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 college. Now when you were like studying and you were wondering about building, you know, a first business. You know. Imagine you were able to have a sit down just in class, just next to that younger self and being able to look at that younger self and being able to give that younger girl one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? I'll tell my younger self that, dude, pick a really huge market, which is also growing. 
everything will be easier if you do that. I love that because ultimately, you know, like markets, you know, they're everything. You know, the bigger they are, the bigger that they're going to take you. No? So, so I guess, Gaurav, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Say hi to me on Twitter. It's at the rate Sharma, S-H-A-R-M-A-G-88, Sharma G-88. Or you can search me on uh, LinkedIn, SaaS Labs, Gaurav Sharma, you'll find me. Amazing. Well, easy enough. Well, Gaurav, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.